We are in this sermon series called Running With the Giants, all right? I believe we're in week seven of this series. Um, and man, it's been a great series, been very encouraging as we've gone through some scripture and we've pointed out some of those individuals within the faith that we have learned about, what, probably in the Sunday school, since you were like knee high, so to speak, in a nursery, all the way up to now, learning about these people and what God did and how God used them to do great and mighty things. And so we're gonna continue with this this morning. And we've been looking at a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, that's been our themed scripture for the last several weeks. And it says, therefore, now you should all know the meaning of the word therefore by now, right? It is a word that is used as a continuation of the previous chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. Understanding this, that in Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter is speaking of what we would call the hall of fame of faith. All right, these are those men and women who did the extraordinary above and beyond that God really used them and, and did tremendous things. So this scripture is a continuation. It's tying us in to this one here where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Anybody ever watch like a marathon on TV, right? You ever run a, a, a 5K? I've not. I, it's one of my plans in life. I'm going to run it or walk it, one or the other, all right? But, but here, here you have, and I'm trying to give you a picture of, of what this scripture is kind of talking about. So here you have, whenever you watch, you see a marathon, you see these runners, they've got an objective, right? They've got an end mark. They've got a finish line that they are looking to approach. And so while they are running this race, and it is a journey, just like our life, correct? And I say life is definitely a journey, right? You got your ups, your downs, your, your backwards, your forwards, your sideways, you got your detours. Man, sometimes life will just throw you a curveball that you are absolutely not expecting. All right, at least I feel that way. So anyway, so here you've got these runners in this race, so to speak, of life, and, and they're going through, and you've got these people along the sidelines. And what are they doing? They're cheering them on, right? They're like, come on, you got this. You've got, you've got like a, a, a mile left. You've got a half a mile. You've got three and a half miles. I don't, you've got 20 miles. Who knows what it is, right? But they're cheering them on. They're being what? They're being a great cloud of witnesses. They're being great encouragers. And you know, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about one of those races is simply this, and you guys know it by now. There's people with water, with cups of water, aren't they? And what are they doing? They're handing them to the racers who are what? They're, they're tired, they're, they're, they're sweating to death, they're thirsty. And so there's people there who are what? Handing them water to encourage them, to replenish them, right? To give them something afresh and anew. And so this is kind of what the scripture's saying. He's saying, look, there's people who have already gone through life struggles just like you have gone through. But yet God has used them and placed them within scripture to be an encouragement within your life. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I love this, let us throw off what? Everything, look at your neighbor and say everything. everything. Throw off everything. That's all that stuff and junk. That's all that, you know, those things, those 
environments and relationships. It says throw off everything that hinders and, and, and. Here's the big one. The sin. Oh, pastor, we said sin. Yeah, we did. We did. The sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. What does that mean? That means we're not giving up. That means when things get tough, we're going to stay in that race. When we are wore the plum out, right? When we think we can't make another step, God is saying, run with perseverance. Continue to go after this thing. Don't give up so easily. What, the race that's marked out for us. Now, how many of you know that there's someone in your life or there's people within your life that you know you, you could look at and they are great encouragers. They are people that you meet and, and, and maybe you instantly there's something just different about them. Have you ever met somebody who just stands out above the rest of the crowd? Someone that you know that you're like, you know what? There's just something different. I can't put my finger on it. I can't quite explain it, but there's something different about this person. Today, we're gonna look at uh, someone who most definitely stood out above the crowd in his day. We're gonna look at the life of John the Baptist. You know, let, let's, I guess what I would like to do for a moment is kind of set his message aside, all right? And let's take a look at him. Who was he? What did he wear? We understand that the Bible tells us that this guy wore camel hair for clothing. Now, last time I checked, I don't have anything in my closet or in my drawers that says camel hair on it. Right? I mean, that to me, I look at a camel and I'm like, I, I don't know that I want you on me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm, you stink. You sm I don't know. No, no, right? It says that he wore a leather belt. Now we're thinking, oh, belt, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I got a belt. No, not like you've got, right? It was just like a leather strap that was what? Tied around him. And that was it. So this guy's got camel hair and he's got a leather belt or a strap tied around. Could you just picture that for a moment? How ruggedy he must have appeared to be. So his appearance alone is causing him to stand out. But then the Bible says he does something very unique. He eats locusts and honey. Maybe the honey is to, to, to take away from the nasty taste of the locusts. What kind of diet? That is not a keto diet. All right, I, I don't know if that's approved by, you know, dietitians, all right? So this guy alone, beyond the spiritual aspect, had some strange things about him that made him stand out. He had different names. He was called the forerunner of Christianity. Um, he was the prophet who not only prophesied of Jesus, but he actually got to meet Jesus. Imagine living to see that fulfilled, the great accomplishment he must have felt. And one of the cooler things about him was this, he was a cousin of Jesus. Talk about name dropping. Like, oh yeah, well, <laughs> my cousin's Jesus, man. I don't care who you know, I know Jesus, he's my cousin, right? We're family. I mean, has anybody ever name dropped in here? Why, why do you name drop? To get something. 
You're name dropping to get something, right? He would be name dropping Jesus and be like, respect. I get respect, all right? So this guy, he got to do a lot of great things. You know, he stood out. Um, he stood out in, in the outward appearance. He stood out spiritually. He stood out relationally. I mean, he had a strong relationship with Christ by family, by itself. And one thing that this guy got to do was, and I think it's fantastic, he got to baptize Jesus. Can you imagine being the one who's baptizing the son of God? Like how cool must have that have been or overwhelming maybe that must have been. I mean, hearing God's voice speaking as, as the son of God goes down and comes up, the clouds part. I'm just trying to give you a visual here. It's from the book of Kevin, all right? And all of a sudden, you know, this voice comes out and, and John hears the voice that God says, this is my beloved son. Amazing, right? You know, we look at people's lives sometimes and we define them by the beginning and we define them by the end. But what happens truly in the middle is what's of most importance. You know, as Christ followers, we know and, and, and we understand that our ending will be where? In the kingdom of heaven, with our Savior, with our Father, who loves us so much, who gave his what? Only begotten Son that whosoever would do what? Believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What a fantastic promise. If I said nothing at all or anything else this morning, that alone is a message that should impact your life from this moment on forever. But we often forget about the in-between. The in-between is what is so important. It's kind of like you, you look at a headstone and you see the day they were born, you see the day they died, and then you see this thing in the middle. What is that? It's a dash. What does your legacy say about you? When you move on into eternity, what will people remember you as? See, we can relate to John the Baptist in a lot of different ways. Uh, but what we're gonna do today is we're going to look at his life and, and the view of a scandal that had taken place. Now, we love scandals, right? You're looking on Facebook all the time. You heard something in the community, so now you're gonna jump on the Facebook to see if it validates what you heard. I'm just being honest. Some of you are laughing because it's true. Some of you are being quiet because you don't want to be called out on it. All right. There you go. This guy had a great message in his life. He was preaching a message that was full of grace. He was preaching a message that was full of truth. And it's, it's even the theme from his message was simply this. And we see that um, in, in, in the book of Matthew where it says, repent for the kingdom of what heaven is near. John the Baptist was a guy who had a lot of zeal. He's kind of like that in-your-face type of friend who just simply doesn't care what you think. They're going to tell you what, the, what they're thinking. Anybody have one of them? Is anybody one of them? All right, don't look at your neighbor. Don't, don't. don't look at your spouse, please. But now understand what we're going to talk about on the scandal here with John the Baptist falls in line with a relationship that he had with King Herod. Now, King Herod, he was a married man. His wife, he was married to his wife, but yet he started, here's the difficulty here. He started liking his brother's wife. 
Now that's just messed up, right? I mean, talking about keeping it in the family here, right? And her name was Herodias. What part of that name is attractive? Are you following me here? And the bigger issue was simply this. Herodias took a liking to Herod. Now, what, you ever find it interesting? Herod, H-E-R-O-D, Herodias, H-E-R-O-D-I-A-S. All right? So here you've got a lot of similarities that are happening here. And, and so, her, you know, Herod's taken a liking to his brother's wife. And the brother's wife is now taking a liking to him, to Herod. All right, let's pick up the scripture. Mark chapter six, uh, starting verse 17, says, for Herod himself have given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put into prison. This is speaking of John the Baptist. He did this, now watch this, here's why he did it. Because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying to Herod, listen, John, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So in other words, what is he doing? He's calling out the sin. He's calling it how he sees it. He's not sugarcoating it. He's just like, bam, here it is. Now, here we go. Let's continue in the scripture. Verse 19. So Herodias nursed. Stop there for a second. Now, in order to nurse something, what are you doing? You're taking care of it. You're providing it. You're feeding it. So what did Herodias do? So Herodias nursed a grudge. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me challenge you. Let me help you out with something. The reason why you have so much evil thought or resentment or anger or frustration or you're revenge-minded towards someone is simply this. You have nursed this emotion and you have fed it and you've allowed it to fester and become greater than what it should have ever had been. And this is exactly what was happening here. It says, nursed a grudge against John. And here's what she wanted to do. She wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. So here we got this guy, John the Baptist. He finds himself in prison. He's the cousin of Jesus, the one who was prophesying about Jesus, witnessed Jesus for himself, baptized Jesus. We see the humility of him here in the next few moments kind of come to surface. This guy in John 3.30 says, he, what, God must increase and I must what? Decrease. So everything is you know, kind of coming around him and, and, and he's going great ministry-wise, but now he's finding himself in a very tough situation. He's finding himself in a moment that is not exciting. He's finding himself in a moment that is not, you know, uh, probably not faith-filled, all right? And, and how would he have responded? How would you have responded if you were him? Here you are, you're doing everything you can. You're preaching, you're, you're, you're baptizing people, you're telling them to repent, you're doing all of this. You, you've heard of everything that Jesus has done. You know, you're, you're going through all of these moments, but now you find yourself in a very questionable time. So maybe the question is as to why is this 
happening to me? Have you ever asked that? Like, why is this going on in my life? See, it's one thing to grow through something, and it's one thing to have difficulty in your life when you know that you caused it. But what about when others have caused it? See, John, he was doing everything right, but yet he still found himself in this situation. He still found himself in prison. He still found himself in a jail cell. He may have thought thoughts of, well, what should have been, could have been, might have been. We've been there, right? If I'd have done things just a little differently, this, this is not how I planned my life to be. Maybe he found his faith to waver. That's probably a reality that started to take place and take form. You know, sudden doubt, fear, worry. What's going to happen out of this situation? Is this how life is supposed to be? John in this moment is probably trying to make sense of everything around. Is that relatable to you and I? Maybe you've been through, or maybe you're going through a tough situation that absolutely doesn't make sense. Maybe you're going through a season even right now. So what do we do when this life doesn't make sense? When the report maybe that you were hoping for or expecting becomes the total opposite. Maybe when the financial situation that looked to be so hopeful ends up being so dreadful. Maybe the relationship that you were hoping would be mended actually falls even further apart. What do we do in moments like this? I kind of think that John is in the same situation that we find ourselves into sometimes in trying to make sense of life. He's sitting in a prison cell thinking, what in the world have I done to get myself in to this situation? How have I ended up here? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 11, verses two through three. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah or heard about the deeds of Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, speaking of Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? If you recall earlier, This is a guy who had already baptized Jesus. This is a guy who who was preaching of the coming Messiah. This is a guy who who was there when, so to speak, the, 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 the voice came down in a strong, you know, sense and 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 said this is my blood this guy had witnessed so much but he finds himself in a very peculiar moment he finds himself in a moment of doubt he finds himself in a moment where let's just be honest he's fearful anxiety has crept in and now he's questioning whether or not this is the one who is to come or should we expect someone else is he who he says he is you know You're not alone when you deal with doubt or with fear. You're not alone in your own life. Think about this. The very cousin of Jesus himself even doubted. So even if John were here today, I think he would have some words of encouragement that for when life doesn't make sense, here you go, we put our faith in God's purpose. 
You know, God, I, I don't understand it. Regardless of everything that's happening around me, Lord, I'm still gonna trust you. Look, it's not fun to trust you in this moment, let's be honest, but I'm still gonna trust you. I don't understand why I'm gonna trust you, but I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure, God, that I'm trusting you, that I'm what, living out your purpose, I'm living out your plan, I'm living out your will. Because the moment that we take our eyes off of our problems and we put them on Jesus, his purpose, his problems, then become a reality within our lives. You would think in this moment of doubt that Jesus would lay down the hammer on Paul or on John. You would think he would be like, are you serious? You're really gonna question me right now. Like you sent these guys over here to talk to me and to say whether or not I am he. Really, after all that you have seen, after all that you've experienced, this is what you're going to do? I mean, think about that. If that were you, how would you have responded? Be like, what, you don't believe me now? Times got tough. You don't have faith in me now? After all that I've, have you ever done something for somebody? You've done a lot for them. And then when it come down to them, need, you needing them to do for you, they've not done it. And what do you do? You get disappointed, don't you? You get frustrated, you get mad, you become irritable, you become revengeful, right? You're like, well, pff, see if I ever do anything for them again. See if I'm gonna be there to help them out. See if I answer their text, right? Yeah, we've been there. We have been hurt by people. And watch this, you've also hurt people. But in this moment, Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't lay the hammer down. He does it, what, in grace and in truth. The Bible says that his mercies are new, what? Every day, every morning. Let's continue, Mark, or Matthew 11, verse four. It says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Watch this, what? The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I think that if John were standing with us, he would echo this word, that in order for us to put our faith in God's purposes, we must do this, number one, know his promises. You must know his promises. In order to be encouraged, we, un, we need to understand what Jesus said to John. He says this, go back and report to John what you hear and see. You have to love how Jesus was actually quoting himself. He says, when you need, you need to know God's word, we need to understand that it needs to be much more than devotional but it also needs to become practical. In other words, we need to practice the word of God. We must live out the word of God, the promises that are given to us. It's not just enough to read it and to sit in a setting like this and to be taught the scriptures, but we must also allow the word of God to be demonstrated through our lives, allowing the Holy Spirit that God has promised to lead us in our every step and in our every decision that we make. Jesus in that moment is reminding John of his promises. He's reminding him of what he had worked so hard for. 
that it was actually happening. Watch this. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes from what? Hearing the message. And the message is heard through what? The word about Christ. Understanding this, that the word of God is more than just a devotional, but it is the way of life. I may not trust my own ability. I may not trust my own thinking and my own decision-making, but I know one thing that I can trust in, and that is Jesus Christ. I know that when everything else around me is so, you know, when we're looking through a darkened glass, we know that there is a light through Jesus Christ. We understand that he is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my what? Path. That if we're allowing him to lead and guide us, we can then what? See clearly. How do we do that? By allowing the Holy Spirit to interact in our lives every single day. And then here we go. Second thing. We can experience what he's doing. Experience what he's doing. Jesus said to his disciples that don't only tell John of what you had heard, but also of what you have seen. How many of you know that there's a big difference between hearing something and seeing something, right? There's a huge difference between hearing something and seeing something. Uh, I think it was like, I wanna say four years ago, something like that. My wife and I traveled with a couple other friends and we went to, out to Nevada and we had an opportunity to go to this place called Red Rocks and uh, the uh, Hoover Dam. All right. Now, our friends had already previously had been there and they were telling us how awesome it was, how great it was. And I'm like, it's a bunch of rocks and it's a cement wall. It can't be that great. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you've, you've, you've heard people explain how awesome it is and oh my goodness, you gotta go see it. I'm like, no, all I see is dollar signs. That's what I see. I see plane tickets, I see food, I see hotels. And they're like, you gotta go experience this. It's gonna be fabulous. Go, we gotta go. And we're like, all right. So we went and we get out there. And uh, our, our first stop was to go to the Red Rocks. And they're like, you gotta take your camera. And I'm like, okay, I'll take my camera. I'm not a photographer whatsoever, all right? Absolutely not. But I, man, I look like one then, right? And so we get out there and, and, and we go. And, and as we're driving and I'm just looking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is so beautiful, like these red rocks and it was all these formation that these rocks made and these swirls and all this stuff. And, and so we're hiking all through it and climbing these rocks. And it was just, it was amazing. You gotta go if you ever get the chance. <laughs> Are you seeing the pattern there, right? So then it was like a day or two later, we went over to the Hoover Dam and I was like, great, a cement wall, it's awesome. So we get there. And, 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 you know, they, they, you go to a visitor center, you know, and then all of a sudden you walk down this path and there's this massive, massive wall, right? And, and, and you're just looking, you're like, oh my goodness, this thing is so much cooler than any photograph I've ever seen. And so here I'm like, you know, taking pictures. And the other day I was on the computer and uh, I was going through some of our photos, backing things up. And I was, and I came across them and I was like, this does not nowhere near even compare to actually being there in that moment. So Jesus was saying, listen, don't tell them of just what you've heard, but tell John of what you saw. Because it's so important he needs 
that encouragement right now. It's not enough just to see or to experience or to hear it. But we need to what, begin to see it. I want to see God do the great and mighty things in our church. I want to see when addicts come in that they leave freed. I want to see when the sick come in for prayer that they leave encouraged and healed. Most importantly, what I want to see, I want to see families that are broken leave out of here restored and strengthened. I want to see the power of God move in people's lives that when they've come in and discouraged, they leave out of here encouraged. I want to see people that when they come through these doors that they're low on faith, but when they walk out of here, they understand that it's not them what creating the faith, that the faith is in them. It's them pulling it out and allowing it to move and to work in their lives. I want people, I want people who understand that they come in here and they might be a little uh, scared of the Holy Spirit because you're in a church of God or in a Pentecostal church, they can leave here and understand what the true meaning of Pentecost and the true meaning of what the move of God truly is by the Holy Spirit. And watch this, more importantly, I want people to come in here who are lost, but when they leave here, they have found Jesus Christ. Amen. And how do we do that? We tell them about what we've experienced. I've not only heard about it, but I've experienced the salvation of Jesus. I've experienced when I walked down to the center of that aisle that day and that big dude was right there and he embraced me and he said, just tell him whatever it is on your mind that the only words that I could get out of my mouth were Jesus. Tears flowing down my face, brokenness, sin crumbling off, but God's grace surrounding me and hugging me and embracing me. Listen, this is what church is about. This is what church is about when people can come through doors and begin to experience the miracle working of God's power and his love, his compassion. Understand what you have received by God. You never deserved it. You cannot pay the debt that you truly deserve, but yet Jesus Christ paid the debt for you. So here he is in this prison. And he's been preaching this message, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn away from your sins. He even got to experience firsthand dunking Jesus, right? Taking him down, baptizing him, bringing him up. He got to experience the father's acceptance of his son. But yet in that moment, in that moment, he had a little doubt. He had a little fear. He began to question. And so when he sent his disciples out, he said, you know what? Find out who this man truly is. I need to know, have I been wasting my time? So he goes and then Jesus, who could have dropped the hammer at any moment, responded with grace and love and said, look, this is, this is what you are to tell him. Not what you're hearing me, but what you're seeing me do. Cleansing, healing, restoring, encouraging. And then he says this, remember who he is, number three. When life just doesn't seem to make sense, let's build our faith by remembering who Jesus is. Remembering who he is in that moment. When everything around you seems disturbed and confused, you remember who he is. Matthew chapter 11, verse six, in the amplified version says, and blessed or joyful, favored by God, is he who does not take offense at me, meaning Christ, but what? Accepting me as the Messiah. 
and trusting confidently in my message of salvation.